Thank you for listening to Tapping Into the Human, a podcast on addiction, recovery, and mental health, brought to you by The Albertus Project. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. Every week, you'll hear powerful stories from people about their journey with recovery and be inspired by individuals and organizations that are leading the charge in decreasing the stigma surrounding mental health and addiction. Oh, hey, everyone. This is Alex here. Welcome to today's episode of Tapping Into the Human, where we are lucky enough to be joined by Patrick Doyle, uh, who is actually one of only 22 in the U.S. who is a certified community reinforcement and family training clinician or CRAFT. Uh, Patrick is also a family addiction coach. I only wish there were more of those in the space. And Patrick is also the host of the Addiction Coaching Podcast, which I absolutely love. So Patrick, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's a real pleasure, Alex. Thank you. For sure. So tell me a little bit more about yourself um, and sort of what you do for a living. I know I've been, we recently connected on Twitter and um, you were teaching me a little bit about craft, which is really interesting. And I'm excited to take that training soon, all thanks to you. But give us a little bit of your background. Sure. Um, long story short, uh, I, uh, I grew up in a, a very loving family and it was a bit of a high stress family at times. Um, so it was, um, I developed depression and anxiety as a teenager, um, went and got treatment for them when I was in college and the treatment worked um, for the depression. So I've basically been in recovery from depression ever since then. I saw the power of uh, psychotherapy and helping each other, people helping each other, mental health care. And I, so I, I became really fascinated. Wow. You know how, if someone can help me recover, I really want to learn more about this. So I got a job in mental health in a, on an inpatient psychiatric unit. I love the work. I love working with people. I love being helpful. Uh, went to social work school, got my master's in social work. And since then I've been working a lot of my work has been in the employee assistance program field where basically we're, we're a benefit that employers offer to their employees and family members for right. counseling support, connecting with treatment resources, etc. I've also had my own private practice as a psychotherapist for many years. And then oh, five years or so ago, I saw the power of life coaching in, in terms of working with families. I've always had uh, I've always been drawn to helping families. If my family had been able to get the help back way back then, I, you know, that would have been a great thing. Right. So, so that's my mission now. And uh, I learned that being a life coach, you can operate across state lines. It's not, you don't have to be licensed. So it drops a lot of the barriers that being a psychotherapist had. So in terms of helping families with addiction, we can have family meetings with families in multiple states on a conference call. And it, it works out really well. And um, so I've been doing the family coaching, uh, concentrating on that, getting really good results, really positive results. Then I took the craft course that you're gonna be taking next week and just blew me away. Um, I also took the invitation to change course that the Center for Motivation and Change offers. That it also blew me away. I went for certification in craft, which I just received. And as, okay. as you said, one of 22. And what I didn't realize going into that process was it's one thing to learn the craft method, 
and to study it and love it. It's another thing to have to demonstrate mastery of the concepts working with real families in an audio tape recording that families agreed to, and then eventually getting passed, because that's what really helped me learn. It's, it, as you know, it's one thing. Yeah, book learning is one thing, but being able to demonstrate it and help a family in that way, that I had to learn it, and, and I did. And it, and it was so useful. So I'm so glad that I, that I did that and because it's just made me so much better. Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. And what got you sort of into the addiction space? Because I found that that is a very interesting kind of specialized field where there's not enough people doing it. There's not, you know, you even have um, doctors or um, I even asked, you know, my therapist, I'm like, hey, do you deal with, you know, folks dealing with addiction? She's like, no, honestly, that's not my specialization. It's, it's a very specific type of person who pursues that line of work. So what made you be like, you know what, like, this is sort of now my passion. Um, and I want to kind of change lives in this realm. Great question, Alex, and you're very head on, you're very spot on, you're very accurate with that. It, it still amazes me how many trained clinicians right. will not work with addictions. And I mean, it's interesting. I, I don't identify as a person in recovery, recovery from addiction, um, definitely depression and anxiety. Um, but it, it, there was a lot of addiction in my family, my family of origin and uh, raising two kids, one of my adult children struggles with addiction. And so it's, it's certainly touched my life in very profound ways. Right. And I've always been, I have, I've always identified with the underdog. Mm, yeah. Love and, it. And if we think about stigma, uh, people with mental illness, depression, anxiety, they certainly have a lot of stigma on them. And, and that's, that's a burden for them. I, I see even more stigma on people with addiction. And then if you get to people who have both an addiction and a depression, anxiety, also known oh. as dual diagnosis. Yeah, that's like, you know, that's a whole other field. Yeah, yeah. And so having worked in the field and seeing how people would talk about them, seeing how professionals would talk about these patients just got me and got me angry. And it, it just, it just, reinforced and strengthened my resolve that I'm going to help the, the, the most marginalized, the most minoritized patient population that we have. So I, it's, uh, th that's, that's what really draws me to them. No, that's, that's amazing. And it, and it's so needed and no, you're a hundred percent right. One thing that I didn't realize is there are so many brilliant doctors out there, but they don't want to touch addiction yeah. with a 10 foot pole. Right. And a right. lot of that is just because of the stigma. Right. But like, you would think that all doctors would be, um, you know, when I've been speaking to doctors recently, especially this one addiction professional, he's like, we don't even talk about it in our training. And I'm like, that's crazy. Right. Right? You are for sure going to come across someone with substance use issues or whatever addictive, um, behavior it might be. And you don't have the tools and the training to be able to impart that on someone and be able to help. So I'm hoping that at some sort of level that that conversation will start to change. And I think you are hundred percent right about dual diagnosis, kind of how I equate it is like where mental health uh, is now in terms of like the stigma so much less, albeit there still is. I hope that we can get to that with addiction, but there's just so many yeah. intricate pieces. I mean, there's law, there's legislation, there's people's views, and it's just, it's tough. So 
I was going to ask you, like, I'm sure a lot of parents come to you with, you know, very, very scared. They probably have stigmatized views, sort of like, what is your first basis with a parent? Is it, is it parents coming, just trying to understand? Is it parents angry? Like, what is your first sort of meeting with these parents like? Well, if there's one thing that I make sure that I cover in the very first discussion, Alex, it's to emphasize that you did not cause addiction. Mm. You are not the, you don't have responsibility for this. Um, and sometimes the families will say, how do you know? Or are you sure? Sometimes the families will say, oh, I know that, I know that. But I, I know that because of the internalized stigma that we all carry, I mean, there's all sorts of internalized things like racism, stigma against one thing or another. We all have it. And so we, so even the parents who say, oh, I don't think I'm responsible, I still make sure that I make say that to them because there's a part of them that is going to question that if they haven't already. Like a guilt. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. It, exactly. And I've raised two kids and I'm very blessed. I'm very fortunate. They're doing very well in life. Yet, um, being a parent and helping a child into adulthood has challenges along the way, and uh, so it, it's it, it's it's it, it can be it, it's uh, it's very positive, um, but it also can be very challenging. And sometimes we just need a little bit of guidance and help. And another thing I'd like to point out is that we we talk mostly about parents helping their kids with addiction. However, there's so many other age groups out there who are struggling, for example, seniors, uh, yeah. a lot of seniors with addiction that doesn't go recognized and treated. There's a lot of spouses, adults uh, who are, we, we don't provide that much for them specifically. Um, so I am also looking to expand the conversation to include, it doesn't have to be parents in their teens. It could be friends of somebody it could be co-workers yeah. of somebody I, I love that patrick i think you bring in such an important point and that's why i always try to use the term loved ones because i think yeah. about it for myself right like the whole reason why i'm in this space i knew absolutely nothing about addiction a year ago if you told me i'd be running a nonprofit and a podcast i'd tell you you're crazy about addiction but i just wish i as a friend had the knowledge and the tools and the experience to be able to help my friend. And it doesn't matter that she wasn't a blood relative and we didn't live even in the same country. She was in Toronto, I'm in the US. Like we need to focus the conversation around whatever it is. It could be a grandparent, a son, daughter, a cousin. Um, and on that point, Patrick, like do you have at this point in time, are people recognizing, hey, I might not be um, you know, the parent of a teen suffering, but do you have clients who are, uh, you know, supporting a friend or supporting a grandparent or that's people haven't really had that conversation yet thinking that's not my role? Every once in a while, Alex, it does happen. And and by the way, I apologize. So sorry about your loss. Thank um, you. I appreciate so, it. So deeply sorry, beyond sorry. Um, and, and I agree um, I wish I knew 10 years ago what I know now, and I wish that everyone knew what, what we know now from science. Right. Um, there are people who, uh, it's interesting. What I try to do is I try to network and uh, present myself as knowledgeable, compassionate, and a good resource. And if I can't help someone, I will always help 
that if someone looking for something, I'll always help find another resource or give them some other leads. So that's how I try to present myself. So I will get calls from people. For example, um, there was a family dealing with autism in the family. And the um, one of the teenage daughters was had uh, Asperger's autism spectrum disorder. Um, the mother in the family also had it. And so the grandparents of okay. these teen daughters, they were looking for some sort of assistance because the, the depression and the uh, autism spectrum disorder in the mom was really uh, impacting the family tremendously. Yeah. And, and I, what I found was that the kind of work that I do with addiction, it's also applicable to a large extent to any kind of behavioral health disorder. So we worked together for a year and a half and we accomplished a, a, we, we accomplished a lot. We got the mom uh, a more appropriate skilled therapist in her area of need. We got the daughters new therapists. We did uh, we got anger management for another individual in the family. And the uh, and going into the pandemic, they they really needed that help and it, it worked really well. So once in a while, I will get inquiries along those other lines, or from uh, one time an ex girlfriend of an adult. Uh, reached out to me. Um, she was not in that relationship anymore, but she was still concerned about him. Wow. And, yeah. Yeah. So we start, we try to spread the word that way. No, that's, that's fantastic. Cause at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. It shouldn't matter if you know someone suffering and you are able to, you're in a place where you can sort of be an ally and get those tools and techniques. I think that that's, that's perfect. So my question for you is, what is the role of a family member, a friend, whoever, and their loved one is suffering with addiction? I, I've heard different things. Um, I have my opinion, but some people, um, which I don't think is accurate, is like, that's not, that's not your role. You should let them be. Some people are helicopter parents or grandparents who are trying to control their every uh, move and function, uh, afraid of a recurrence of use. What is the actual role of a family member, a friend, whoever, for someone who's suffering with addiction? Well, it, it <clears throat> to some degree, pardon me, Alex, to some degree, I think it depends on the acuity, the, the level of risk that okay. you're observing. And if you're seeing a high level of risk and that uh, you have reason to believe a person is going to come to serious harm, if nobody does something, then I encourage people do what you have to do. You, you reach out, you, um, you know, if you want to invite them into your home, if you want to give them some money, um, if you want to give them a place to stay, if you want to give them food, um, that, if it's that level of risk, then do whatever you need to do to reduce their harms, the risks that they're under. And then over time, you can continue to reach out to them. And oftentimes we find that people do become interested in gaining health and recovery um after you know somebody has helped them out it has a big impact on them so that that would, that's what i would say for the high risk high acuity situation with other situations what we the old school way was to advise people to not quote enable um to not be codependent um you're just buying their next drink if you give them money etc let them hit bottom people will only change if they want to change and, but that was never true. Um, but that's the backdrop. That's the foundation upon which most addiction treatment is built on. But what uh, science has shown us through research is that it's not true. Families, okay, maybe there's, I don't know, 
one percent of families are so dysfunctional that um, they cannot be involved uh, in helping a loved one because of their own dysfunction. But for 99% of the families, they're loving, they're responsible, they're trying to do the best that they can. And there is a way that people can learn, learn to change their own behavior in terms of how they communicate with their loved one with addiction that will encourage that person to reach out for help. And uh, well, with craft, it's got a 70% success rate of bringing a loved one with addiction into treatment. Which, which is fantastic. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about craft? Cause I don't think I, I certainly didn't know till I was looking at your tweets. I was like, what is this thing? And it should be more widely known, widely accessible. There should be people all over the world who want to be trained in this, but that's just not the case as of right now. Cause it's, it's not well known. So can you explain to everyone what craft is? Yeah. Craft is, um, th and the reason why it's not well known is because a lot of craft flies in the face of what the treatment industry believes um for, for example the the treatment industry isolates family from a patient's treatment and they isolate the patient from the world so if you go into a 30-day residential program you'll have to give up your mobile phone you won't have your phone you won't have access to the internet and it's it's like boot camp it's like jail yeah it is it's very much like jail Right. And, and who would uh, want to go to jail, right? Like if you have a choice, why would I want to go to treatment? Yeah, when, like, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. So what, um, and, and there's other approaches like intervention, there's 12 step facilitated approach based on Al-Anon. Those are, have been shown to be not nearly as effective. And what I would say about craft, what's different is that they, we teach the family skills, how to communicate more effectively, how to learn about addiction, and treat it as a medical illness and how to show love and compassion and respect when interfacing, interacting, communicating with their loved one. And I just released a podcast episode this week, just the other day. Um, people can do, when people feel loved, they're capable of amazing things. And if I, if I could summarize craft in maybe one line, that's probably it people with addiction, when they feel loved, they're capable of amazing things, growth and recovery. But if people don't feel loved, it just is a, such a huge barrier. Right, right. No, a hundred percent. And that's something that is like, it's a, and it's addiction myth, right? It's a fallacy thinking that they have to reach rock bottom, uh, do not enable, do not talk to like, it's, it's it's awful right like think let's take yeah. away addiction and let's think about someone who's suffering from depression we no doctor or person would ever recommend that right because that person right. needs that support and it's not enabling it's just you know and, and for me part of our mission for the albertus project is turn um the world's addiction uh, the world's view of addiction from blame and shame to one of compassion and support because that's yeah. that's really what it is right there's a it is right. your fault. This is on you. Moral failing versus, hey, with someone with cancer, we would never go about it that way. And it's just, it's tough, right? Because um, I, I think you're 100 percent right. The more, the more I learn, the more angry I am, and the more that I see that some of these treatment centers, and while they might have amazing people who genuinely do care and, and all this sort of stuff, it's yeah. sort of yeah. set up for these people to fail, and that's pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of horror stories. And what also makes it confusing is that there are, are all sorts of success stories of people who have gone through the traditional addiction treatment industry 
and they have found recovery and they're very grateful. So, so they're very tied to that. Yes. So it does make it confusing. And so for a professional working in the field, a physician, a social worker, a counselor, it's hard to understand where, where the truth lies. Yeah. And, and we've got, as a society, we've got mixed, we're very ambivalent. We call it a medical illness, but we don't treat it like a medical illness. For and sure. it, messes, it messes a lot of stuff up. It does. It makes it incredibly challenging. Um, and the other thing that you brought up, and I've been listening to a ton of your podcasts, and I love it. I really like the episode too of like people ask you like, how do I know if like my loved one is suffering with addiction? And you and your answer is like, if you think it is, chances are that's very much the case. So yeah. I love your podcast. I think it's great. It's really informative, very clear, and at a one on one level, which I try to make these right, just information, but it's not crazy scientific it's stuff that's factual based but you can sort of understand it at a very um, easy level what sort of inspired you to take on the realm of podcasting because it's fun but it's it's a lot of work and there's a lot of research that goes into it yeah i started off blogging and i'm not i'm not a good writer <laughs> i mean i know english grammar i know my p's and q's but yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a gifted writer and that was a labor of love and it was like ah. Oh, um, I, I mean, I, I wanted, I, I developed my own website. I, I knew that I had to somehow make it my presence known in the world. Um, blogging didn't work. It didn't feel comfortable. And then I heard some of these podcasts and I thought, wow, that's so cool. You can get an ex, you can listen to an expert being interviewed by another expert interviewer like you, and you can get all sorts of information that you, you, you can't get any other way. Right. So after hearing some podcasts, I thought, well, I can probably do that. And um, so initially I was focused on bringing, interviewing guests who I had been working with to describe what the work involves and, and how they benefited from it and who out there might want to think about um, working with me, what I could do for them. And then I shifted a bit recently. And as you mentioned, um, how do I recognize addiction? there's some very basic questions that I wasn't really answering for my audience. So I thought I got to get back to basics. So that was the, the two episodes ago, yesterday I released an episode, how to talk about addiction. Mm. So we, it's like, once you identify addiction, okay, how do you approach it? When do you approach it? What language do you use? Um, for example, offering to help, do I offer to help in a general way? Or do I offer to bring them to the treatment program and let's go today, let's pack your bags. Mm. And so I'm, I'm giving people nuts and bolts, um, easy to digest information that is very practical. Exactly. And, and it's important, right? Like you, you just said two very basic things that anyone who has a loved one suffering would want to know, but the questions aren't readily available. Like the answers aren't readily available. And that basically that's how I got into this space in, in its entirety is, after my friend passed away, I'm like, whoa, I don't know my left and right bounds. I don't even know what addiction is. I've only heard that there's a 12 step program. And if you don't do that, you're going to die. Like I've heard, you know, horror stories and I, I didn't know what to believe myself. And every time I go online and, you know, how to recognize if a loved one's suffering from addiction, each yeah. website will say something very different, right? There's no sort of ground truth. And what I really appreciate about your podcast and others and is a it's really easy b i've learned so much and c it's like you can get the information without all the other fluff and advertisements and it's a it's it's fact-based versus opinion yeah it, it, absolutely um and 
in terms of the language we use and how we communicate, there's an expression called pious. Well, craft itself has uh, emphasizes seven elements of quality communication. Um, and then you can break it down even further. Four elements, pious, P-I-U-S. The P stands for positive. So the conversation you have with your loved one, well, it has to be brief. It has to be very direct, but it also needs to be positive. If you mm -hmm. can give them a compliment for effort that they placed in, in anything, it's always good to start off that way. And also positive in the sense of asking for what I want from that other person uh, instead of telling them what to do. Right. Then the, the I of pious is I statements. Um, I express my feelings. I have such a high level of concern when I see you come home and I know that you um, and pious, the you and pious stands for understanding. It's helpful to demonstrate understanding of that individual's challenges. For example, I can understand um, you weren't able to meet with your therapist this week. You weren't able to go out to an AA meeting because of the snow and that can put extra stress on you. It must be really hard to continue to work at your recovery, you know, without having those supports. I can understand that. And then the S, shared responsibility, um, maybe, maybe inadvertently without, maybe some of my trying to help you has not been so helpful. Maybe I've been on your back too much. Maybe I've been pushing you when that didn't work. What can I do to help? And that last piece, what can I do to help is the, it's the thing that we oftentimes don't, we don't say that. We tell the person with addiction what, what we believe they need right. and that they should believe it too. But that just alienates that person. So if we keep it open, what can I do to help? It shows that I'm here to learn about you. I want to learn about you. I don't know what's going to be best for you, but I'm here for you. Excellent. Yeah, no, I think, I think that is so important. And we've been talking about compassion and empathy and all of those, you know, take away the blame and shame and go towards more of the empathy and the compassion and the support, which is fantastic. So I'm excited to learn more about that. Um, no, Patrick, this has been a fantastic conversation. I was going to say last question for you. Do you have any pieces sort of, of advice for if uh, someone's listening and they've sort of recognized that a family member, a friend is suffering and they sort of want to figure out how can I be the best support? Um, I know there's so many different options, but what would you say to that person? Um, seek, seek support for yourself and seek learning, knowledge. Um, there's a really good website, recoveryanswers.org recoveryanswers.org that has a lot of science-based information about addiction. There's also familyaddictioncoach.com. That's my website. I'll talk to anybody. You can call me on the phone. You can email me through that website. Uh, and I've got other resources. And then the, the basic craft book um, is called Get Your Loved One Sober. It's a paperback at $12. And it's written so that a family can use it whether they have professional help guiding them or not. So Get Your Loved One Sober is a great book. Fantastic. Well, Patrick, you've been an absolute pleasure to both talk to and learn from, um, and I'm just excited for everything that's going on and that you're doing. So thank you so much for sharing with me and the rest of the community. Oh, thank you, Alex. And I, I gotta admit, it's so impressive to see you jumping into this head first um, and just taking everything on the, the way that you are that's amazing. It's and it's encouraging and it's inspirational. So thanks Thank for letting me be a, a small part of that. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. By tapping into the human behind addiction and mental health, we can empower those suffering by creating a culture of empathy and support. You can find more episodes of Tapping Into the Human and resources about addiction and mental health by following The Albertus Project on social media at Albertus Project and at www.albertusproject.org. Thank you.